Church, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them back up to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John together. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the chair bottom in front of you. Go ahead and open that one up with us. Um, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, Let's read this together. Let's grow in faith together. Our prayer is, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, by the Word of God, the Holy Spirit working in your heart as we read the Word of God, that you will have faith. He will give you, grant you, gift you that faith. That's our prayer. Uh, 1 John, toward the back of the Bible, almost to the very, very end. Uh, It's kind of a teeny tiny book. Not the smallest book, but um, in my Bible it's three pages, four pages. So we'll give you a moment to to find that itty-bitty target there. 1 John, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, big number 1. We're going to go to little number 4 in just a moment. As you continue to turn there, would you bow with me as we pray over the study of God's Word? Father God, we, uh, we are grateful for Your Word. Father, we are grateful that you desire for all of us in this room to know where we stand with you. Whether we are lost, outside of a relationship with you, or if we're in, if we're in your family, if we're your son or daughter, if we've been covered by the blood. Father, you want us to know. We saw that last week, Father, how How gracious of You. You don't want us wondering. You don't want us worrying about our place with You, Father. You want us to know. And Father, there there are going to be those of us, that's a, that's a, a roller coaster, Father. Sometimes we are so confident and sometimes we are not confident in that. And so, Father, there are brothers and sisters here who are going to be all over the spectrum. There are going to be some of us who are dealing with sin. And, Father, sin snatches that confidence away. And so, Father, may we, may we in this place build a confidence up that no matter what our sin is, Father, You are still gracious and merciful. And, Father, there are going to be some of us who are confident, feeling confident. And, Father, may, they, may we be joyful in that confidence. May we thank You for that. And, Father, if there's somebody here who is has false confidence. Father, we pray that you, in Your grace and Your mercy, You remove that. May they see clearly. Father, may we come away from today feeling more appreciative for Your Word. May we use it in more or more effective ways. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Okay. Last week we were introduced to a church really uh, probably a collection of churches that were dealing with this question. How do we know that we are saved? There was a a group, and it seems to be a powerful group, in the church. They were phony Christians, and we know they were phony Christians because they were believing and teaching two things. Jesus is not God. That's what they were teaching. And they were teaching that we don't need Jesus' blood to forgive us of our sins. They were teaching something like, It was just an accident that Jesus came and died on the cross. You cannot believe those two things and be a follower of Jesus. That's a different Jesus. 
And so this powerful group, perhaps elders, perhaps deacons, perhaps Sunday school teachers, they were in this church, and, and in God's grace, they left. And you'll remember this, over their shoulder, they said, hey, we're out of here, and you all are going to hell for believing those things. And so the, the Christians that were left were saying, are they right? I grew up under their teaching. I, I, they, they taught my kids in Sunday school. I, I love these people, and they left. They're really nice people. Are they right? And last week we learned that the truth of the grace and mercy of God, that He is so gracious and merciful. He loves you. He wants you, Christian, to know. John is writing this letter to these churches, and he says, I write this so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you can be confident in your relationship with me. And so in the next several weeks, we're talking about what grows that confidence, what diminishes that confidence. This confidence in a relationship with the creator of the universe. What's the, what's the number one thing they tell you? What's the most important thing in your marriage for a healthy marriage? What do they tell you? Communicate. That's from a, a newly married man right there. He knows this stuff. Who, who did your premarital counseling? He must be a genius. Oh, that was me. Okay. Man, you need to stick around second service. That was perfect. That's right. They tell you, and it might be trite, right? Because you could turn on your TV, you hear it from Dr. Phil, and you hear it from Oprah, and you say, oh, communication, I, I know. And we hear it so often. But it's true, isn't it? That's true. If we want to grow in our assurance of our relationship with one another or our spouse or our kids or any of that, you've got to talk. You, got to, you have to communicate. And that is true even in our relationship with God. There's got to be communication for us to feel confident to approach Him, to understand that He loves us. There's got to be communication. There's got to be communication our way. Remember last week we ended on this. What do we do with this confidence? He says, pray, talk to your Father. That's our end of it. But think about this. The Creator of the universe. All-powerful. Holy. Righteous. And just. He moved heaven and earth across three continents, three languages, 40 authors, over 1,600 years. He moved heaven and earth to communicate with you. Is that not unbelievable? And he did this for you for many reasons. He did this so that if you are a non-believer, you can read this and have faith in Jesus Christ. And he did this. He moved heaven and earth, Christian. He wrote this. He inspired the men who wrote this Bible, who wrote these words for you. And one of the reasons he did that was he longs to communicate with you. And one of the reasons he longs to communicate with you is he wants you to know and be confident in your relationship with Him. Don't we serve a great God? We serve a great God. So, this church is in chaos. Are we saved? Are we believers? How do we know? They're reaching out to this Apostle John. 
who walked with Jesus and saying, John, our church is in chaos. We don't know where we're going. We don't know who we are. We're, we have no assurance of our salvation. They stole it. They walked out. They sent these barbs back at us. You're probably not even saved. And so now we have lost all confidence. Where do we begin? And so John sends this letter to these churches and he starts out where we always need to start out in our faith. He starts out with the Word of God. Let's read this together. Let's see his opening paragraph. What is John going to write this ch- to this church that is struggling with their assurance and their confidence with their relationship with God. He writes this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. How do we grow in confidence? We have to understand that first and foremost, like so much of our our faith, like so much of our Christian life, the first place, our confidence begins with the Word. Our confidence begins with the Word. The word, this opening paragraph. Remember, he's writing this on a scroll. He doesn't have, he's not sending an email where he's got a hundred thousand gigabytes or whatever it is to send you. He's got he's got a certain amount of real estate. And he says, What am I going to hit him with right from the get-go? This church in crisis, these believers who are struggling in their assurance, what am I going to point them to first? He points us to the word. The word, the word, the word. Verse 1, from the beginning we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have touched what? The Word. Verse 2, the Word made manifest. You know what that means? The Word appeared before them. The Word made manifest. We've seen the Word. We testify to the Word. We proclaim the Word to you. Verse 3, the Word we've seen and heard. The Word we proclaim to you. This church in crisis receives a message of The Word. The Word. So what in the world is the Word? The Word of God. Think about this. The Creator and Sustainer of the world has given us the Word as His self-revelation. It's His self-revelation. He has decided in His grace and His mercy to come down and reveal Himself to sinners like me. Can you believe that? The Word is a self-revelation of God. And we can understand this in two main ways. The Word is the Bible. The Scriptures. The Holy Word of God. 66 books broken up in the Old Testament and then the New Testament. Scripture tells us that this Word 
is inspired by God. It's his self-revelation. He's, it's, not, it's not his revelation about God. It is his self-revelation. And so every word that's in here has been inspired by the Creator of the universe. Peter, who knew Jesus, talked with Jesus, touched Jesus, heard Jesus, he writes about the word like this. Another way you can say the word prophecy, right? Prophecy is a revelation from God. So the self-prophecy of God. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy, no word, no scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but, by, but men spoke from God. Get a load of this picture. As they, men spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the book that you have before you. That's the blue Bible that's in the prayer bottom in front of you. This is the book that we encourage and we beg and we plead that people take home each Sunday. That's the book that our missionaries, our missionaries, we, we have responsibility for them. Our, our 5,000 missionaries, that's the book that they are so desperate to take to people that have never seen it, heard it. That's the book that we take for granted and we forget that men and women have paid the price and have died to get this book to us. It's inspired, carried along by the Holy Spirit. And because it is written, spoken by God through men, carried along by the Holy Spirit, because these things are true, we know and we see, we know and we see that this book is authoritative. That means what it says we must do. is authoritative, and it is perfect, inerrant, without error. And our confidence in our relationship with God begins here. Just as my girls' confidence in their relationship with me begins in the things that I say to them, our confidence in our relationship with God begins with His Word. Now, and I heard it from different places when we asked what is the Word, right? That's one, that, that is the Word, right? Everything I've said is true. But we can also understand the Word of God in another way, can't we? Jesus is called the Word of God. It's the self-revelation of the Trinity. And so, he has revealed Himself through these words. And the Trinity, three persons, one God, has revealed the Trinity, self-revelation, by Jesus Christ taking on flesh. He is the self-revelation of the triune God. He has taken on flesh to show what God is like. Jesus is the self-revelation of the Trinity. We see this. John wrote another book. He wrote a Gospel. And he begins his Gospel in a very similar way. Listen to this. You, you, if, you, if, if you've been here a while with us, you'll remember this. This is one of our verses that we land on so often. John 1.1. This is the Gospel, the history about Jesus from John's perspective. He says this. It begins like this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. And we skip ahead a few verses and we learn this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what we have in this book, let's be real clear, this book has one hero. Are you with me? One of the compelling things about this book is you stick around long enough, you realize every single person that shows up in here turns out to be kind of a a zero, doesn't he? Except for one person. This book is about one person, one hero. It's about Jesus, the Word of God made manifest among us, taking on flesh. The Word. So what we have here is this amazing, this amazing thing where we have the Word of God revealing the Word of God. How deep, how powerful is that? The Word of God revealing the Word of God. And this is how John starts. He says, we have seen it, we have tasted it, we have touched it. We have, we, his, the Word has been made manifest. He calls it the Word of life. Who's he talking about? Jesus. The self-revelation of God. And this is where John begins. He says, your confidence in your salvation, your confidence in your relationship with God begins with the Word. This Word that reveals that Word. Are you with me? That's where it begins. That's where everything begins for us, doesn't it? With Jesus. The Word of life. And so, I see it a little bit like this. Maybe this is good for you. This has been good for me. Our con- if our confidence is like a plant, this is the second point on that handout. If our confidence is like a plant, the Word is the seed and the water. If our confidence is like a plant, we want it to sprout, we want it to grow. The Word of God is the seed. It is the life of our confidence because it is the life of our faith. The Word of God. The Word gives life to our faith. There is no confidence without the Word because there is no faith without the Word. Are you with me? We see that clearly. We say it often. Romans 10.17 says it this way, for faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So please hear me. It's it's the Word that brings faith. So your testimony is good, but it is not what brings faith. Are you with me? Your righteous example is good if you can achieve it. But it's the Word that brings faith. That's why That's why we try to be so much about the Word here in this place, in this space. You don't want to hear about my life. You don't want to hear about my testimony. You don't want to hear all those things. Maybe you do to a little extent, but, but we want you before the Word. The Word brings faith. So, our confidence begins with the Word in our heart. 
springing forth, a seed in the soil of our hearts springing forth faith. So our, if our confidence is a plant, the Word is the seed, and the Word is a wa- the water. When the, when the spree- seed sprouts life, and, and I have faith and I'm following Jesus, the water is necessary for the plant to grow. The water is necessary for my confidence to grow. The Word is necessary for my confidence in Christ to grow. We saw that last week. Crystal clear. Can it get any clearer than this? John, carried along by the Holy Spirit, God writing the words through the Apostle John to this church in a desperate situation, says he tells us why he wrote 1 John and if he wrote 1 John, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write 1 John. He says this, the Holy Spirit inspired me to write these things. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So how, how do they know? How do we get them there? Well, he writes something inspired by the Holy Spirit to get them there. The Word grows our confidence. The Word grows our confidence because understanding brings confidence, doesn't it? Understanding breeds confidence. I remember when I was 12, we went to Colorado on this preacher's kid preacher event. I don't remember exactly what it was, but one of the, one of the big things that we did was we climbed this 70-foot rock wall. And I was 12. You know, I'm, I thought I was really tough, and that's what I wanted to do. So we went there, and we hooked me up, and the whole way probably took me three days to get up there, and I was shaking, and I was worried, and I was coming up, and everybody, I just think now that everybody down there must have been like, just get on with it, man. Climbing up, shaking, get to the top, and then what was there? A 250-foot zip line from the top of there. That's scary. I, I was shaking as I jump off. I'm screaming. I'm clutching the rope like this, like, ah! I finally get down there and go, okay, that wasn't so bad. I reacted that way because I'm a wimp, but also I had no understanding. I didn't understand what was going on. But then my instructor was able to do it at the, at the end when everybody else did it, and, and he went up in about 20 seconds. And he got hooked up to the zip line. He went down, he did spins and flips and all that stuff. What's the difference there? I had no understanding of the things that were happening. The instructor knew. He knew the ropes. He knew the clasps. He knew how much weight they could hold. He knew how many times he's been up and down without incident. He knows how many hundreds of people came up and ziplined down with no incident. Understanding breeds confidence. The more I understand the Word, the more I will have confidence in the things that it says, like I am a child of God. Like He will never leave me or forsake me. Why is the Word like the water from my plant? Because understanding brings confidence. And the Word brings confidence because God has promised to work uniquely through His Word. God works through His Word unlike anything else in the world. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. 
And I don't think we go too far to say all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for confidence. Breathed out by God. It is, we can be sure that reading this book will change your life. Change your life. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Every time we crack this book open, we should expect God to change us. Maybe just a little, maybe just one, one notch on the dial, but it will change us. Is the water that grows our confidence. And John goes even further. He says, the Word grows our confidence because it is unchanging. What does he start with? He starts out by saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now in his Gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word. That beginning is like way way, way back in eternity past. In the beginning was the Word. This beginning is something that John has heard and touched. and felt. What is that? Well, that is the beginning of the Gospel. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of what has saved us through the work of Christ. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, have touched with our hands, concerning the Word of life. So he starts out by saying, I am bringing you to, to you the Word, the same Word we have preached since the beginning. He says, this has not changed. And that breeds confidence. Our Gospel does not change. Do we like wishy-washy politicians? No, I don't. Do you like wishy-washy politicians? No, wishy-washy is not a characteristic that breeds confidence, is it? No, when I think of wishy-washy, I think of good old Charlie Brown. They always talk about Charlie Brown being wishy-washy. Lucy always called him wishy-washy. You can't make a decision. You can't be firm. You can't be strong, Charlie Brown. You're just wishy-washy. Charlie Brown can't stick to his guns. Charlie Grant Brown can't make decisions and be firm and stick with them. Charlie Brown is a wishy-washy person. Wishy-washy people will grab on to the next theological fad. Wishy-washy people will not be content until they discover the next evolution of the faith. This is new. Wishy-washy people say things like, this group of believers is preaching and teaching what we've heard for 2,000 years or for, for the, this church what we've heard for decades now. Or a handful of years they've been preaching. There's got to be something more. There's got to be more development than the Gospel. And I've got to believe what's going on in that church, what goes on in many churches, what goes on when, when professing Christians attach themselves to false doctrines. What I believe, part of what's going on at least, is something that C.S. Lewis describes in the Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read that book, read it. It's brilliant. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about a senior demon 
writing letters, coaching a lesser demon about how to tempt a non-believer who becomes a new believer. And one of the things that he tempts him, he says, he, he, he writes to him and says, my dear nephew, it, I'm sorry to hear that, that your client is now a believer. Let me help you tempt him when he walks into church. He says, as they are, as you, they are praying in the sanctuary, point out the person's shoes next to him. Show him how filthy and dirty they are. Give him the thought that I'm an intelligent person. Do I really believe the same things that this farmer who just came off the field believes? Can I really believe the same thing as that country bumpkin? That image has stuck with me. Because that is... That is what the enemy does. There's got to be more to it than Jesus dying on the cross. That's what my parents believe. That's what my grandparents believe. I'm, I'm beyond that. True faith, true confidence, True Christianity is found in the never-changing Gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't graduate from the Gospel. Are you with me? You don't graduate from the Gospel. The cross is not Christianity 101 and then you go to 102 and then you go to 103 and then you go to 104 and you find these greater, bigger, secret things. No, it is everything. It is everything. Scripture does not have nice words for people who grab onto new theological fads and trends and abandon the Gospel. James says it like this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So that we, Ephesians says it this way, Paul says in Ephesians this way, so that we may, be no, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What we must do is take the main and plain things in Scripture, namely the good news of Jesus Christ. We take these things and we hang on to them for dear life because they are our life. And so this church that is in crisis, how do we know we're saved? John says, I'm bringing you back to what we've taught the entire time. The Gospel. The Word brings confidence because it is not wishy-washy. It is not telling you to wait for the next big thing. It says, this is the truth. Clutch it for dear life. Those that left their church we're saying there's got to be more than this. There are, there's secret knowledge that all you, you foolish people are not seeing. But they don't understand that the Gospel is everything to us. The Gospel, deep enough for elephants to swim in and shallow enough, easy to understand enough that my, my one-year-old son can walk through the water. That's the beauty of the Gospel. 
The Word grows our confidence because the main and plain things in Scripture, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, has been proclaimed to us in an unbroken line back to the apostles for 2,000 years. You can know. You can know what they taught in their church 2,000 years ago. You don't have to guess about it. We could see it. We've got sermons in here. We've got letters in here. Two churches. We know what they believe. We have a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 that goes back to months, maybe a couple years after Jesus died on the cross. And it says exactly what we believe about the resurrection of the cross, the forgiveness of sin. It's amazing. We know. And that should breathe confidence. There's no secret knowledge. No new evolution. The Ph.D., all the way down to regular old you and me, we all have access to the same saving Word of God. This message is unchanging. Now, hear me clearly. The message is unchanging. The methods change, don't they? We got one of these. They didn't have one of these back then. We've got air conditioning. They didn't have those back then. The message stays the same. Scripture says the methods change and sometimes they must change. Paul says to become all things to all men. So by the grace of God, I might save some. The message is unchanging. The methods must change. So my goal, knowing that this is the foundation, the foundation is the Word of God, never changing, that breeds confidence. So my goal up here is to never tell you something new. Now, it might be new to you, but I don't want to say anything that people haven't said for 2,000 years. That brings judgment from God. That's, I don't want to be there. And so part, when, I, when I study, part of what I study is what has the, what has the church said about this passage for 2,000 years? So again, it might be new to you, but I don't, want it be, I don't want it to be new to Christianity. When we go into that territory, you know what else was new? What was new in this church was, hey, maybe our sins aren't such a big deal. Jesus didn't die for our sins. That was new. So here in this space, we want to present the Word as clearly as possible. And we want to present the Word of God and the Gospel that has been proclaimed for 2,000 years by believing men and women. And this is a Word that you can build your life upon. Jesus tells us that clearly. And that's not wishy-washy. We grow in confidence. We can So much confidence we can build our life on the Gospel. That's the goal. Jesus tells us that in Matthew. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. That's confidence. The Word, knowing the Word, reading the Word, loving the Word, eating the Word, breathing the Word, grows confidence. So much so that we will build our entire life upon it. The Word also grows our confidence because it is eyewitness testimony. Think about the words that he uses here. I tell you, that which is from the beginning, this unbroken line of gospel teaching nothing has changed i know what they're saying come back come back to what you've heard from the beginning 
And why can we be confident in what, why, why else can we be confident in what was said from the beginning? Well, we can be confident because John says, I'm telling you what I have seen with my eyes. This Greek word for seeing with my eyes is used 22 times in the New Testament, always to denote unambiguous physical seeing. Not some, well, maybe saying spiritually seeing from the heart, and maybe this was 300 years after. No, he's saying, I saw it. I heard it. Think about this John has heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John heard that with his own ears. He's seen it with his own eyes. Jesus walking on water. Jesus healing the sick. Jesus raising the dead. Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus rising again. John saw it with his own eyes. He says, I looked upon it. And that kind of, for English speakers, like seeing it, looked at it, same thing. No, he says, I saw it. This was the physical act of the, the, the light coming in and, and playing with my brain and me seeing exactly what's happening before me. And then I looked upon it with amazement. Gazed astonishingly. And then he says, we have touched with our hands. Fifteen times in the New Testament always denotes a physical touching. Not some spiritual idea. Physical touching. I shook hands with Jesus. I slapped Him on the back. I tossed Him bread. I playfully shoved him. And some of the disciples could say this, if not all of them. I took my fingers and I placed them in the nail marks. I took my hand and I placed it on the spear wound of the resurrected Messiah. These are not some philosophers or theologians stuck in an ivory tower. These are not hermits stuck in a cave thinking hard about God. Their message of the Gospel is what we have seen, heard, and touched regarding the Word of God. When you read the New Testament, you get this sense that these men, fishermen, you know, they, they weren't theologians, they weren't philosophers, they weren't the smartest guys, they weren't kings, they weren't any of this stuff. They just said, hey, all I can do is tell you what I've seen. What I've seen. That's all I've got. I can just tell you what I've seen. Isn't that comforting? That should build our confidence. This is what I've seen. So, and I can go on. If you know me well, you know that I studied Christian apologetics, which is the defense of Jesus and what He taught. And so I can go on and on and on about about the reliability of the New Testament, all the amazing archaeological discoveries and everything that has happened. It's just a beautiful thing. It is, test, is eyewitness testimony. So, the Word brings confidence to what end? Why does the Word bring confidence? To what end? To the joyful fellowship with God and His people. He says, what we've seen, what we've heard, we proclaim to you, verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When you don't know where you stand with someone, there is no joy, is there? There's no fellowship. When you and your wife are fighting, is there joy? Is there fellowship? No, something has been broken. There's no fellowship. So when you know where you stand, when you read the Word of God, and you understand the Holy Spirit works in your heart to grow that confidence, and you see where you stand because of the blood of Jesus, that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God because of what Jesus has done for you out of the grace and mercy of God, when you see that, there is fellowship and there is joy. There is fellowship. The Word brings confidence, which brings fellowship with God. A way we can describe this book is broken and restored fellowship with the Most High God. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve betrayed their allegiance to God, sinned against God. And what does God do? He breaks fellowship. He kicks them out of His presence. And then what does God do? In His grace and His mercy, He sends one to restore fellowship between man and God again. Romans 5 says it this way, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Jesus, the way you could say about talk about the message, uh, the mission of Jesus is His mission is to restore fellowship with God. And then we get a picture. So you get a broken fellowship, you get restored fellowship, and then we get a picture in Revelation of what eternity will look like to those who have fellowship with God. And John, and that interesting kind of goes full circle, John talks about the fellowship we will have with God for eternity in Revelation 21. He says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Fellowship with God. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. We follow God's Word to faith in Christ. God's Word grows our confidence in God, which continues to water and grow our fellowship with Him. The Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. Though God wants us confident and joyful in our fellowship with Him. And finally, the Word grows fellowship with one another. With one another. If we have fellowship with God, we are the sons and daughters of God. If, we, if I am a son of God and you're a son of God, guess what we are? We are siblings. And the good Father wants His siblings to have fellowship and joy with one another. He says, you can have fellowship with us, John says. What's us? The apostles. Who else, are they? Who else are connected to the apostles? All Christians are connected to the apostles. Come have fellowship with us through the Word, through what we proclaim. So, church, what unites us as believers. Does politics unite us? No. The Word unites us. The Gospel unites us. Does race unite us? No. 
The gospel unites us. The word unites us. Does preferences, do preferences unite us? No, the word unites us. Do personalities unite us? No, the word unites us. The word brings fellowship. The word, the gospel. We have unity with one another. We love one another. We fellowship with one another in spite of differences because we know that those differences do not define us. It is the Word that defines us. 